So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, Saturday, you know, and Saturday is like the in-between time between Friday and Sunday, well, obviously, but we had this whole... S- we had this old sermon about it, and, and so, you know, I talked about all these different things that Saturday represents, you know, the waiting period between when you pray for something and when God answers. I talked about, you know, when you order something from Amazon and when it arrives. So uh, my GC leader, Donald, uh, yesterday, the day before, he, he texted me, me the day before because he was at work, and he texted me this thing, and he goes, he goes, I know what it is. He goes, Friday, or Saturday is like when I go to the vending machine, and I put my money in, and I push the button, and when I push it in the time where that thing, and it falls down so I can get it, he goes, that's Saturday. Would have been a great analogy. I got three things to tell you about before we get going. Uh, number one is if you have been thinking about uh, joining a gospel community, now's a great time. Uh, we are doing a primer uh, called Called Together with all the gospel communities, and it's a way to kind of reset and refocus about what we do and the reason that we do it. So if you've been thinking about it, now's a good time to join. Uh, sign up at the Welcome Center in the back. Uh, also, as Jason talked about, baptisms are next week. And baptisms, what are you doing next week? You're coming to baptisms. It doesn't mean you have to get in the water, but we're going to have food and all kinds of cool stuff. So come to baptisms. Now, you got a job in this. Okay, uh, We're going healthy this year. So what we're doing is, is we're doing a salad bar. A salad bar. And we're, whatever, people. So... Well, maps. Well, maps and the communion tables next week. We're doing doing the salad bar, and and so we're going to provide salad and dressing. Uh, we're going to get some really good dressing, so don't worry. We're taking care of that, and it's not going to be like all iceberg. Like, oh, I went down and bought the the iceberg pack that's like you know five weeks old. That's like brown. We're we're going to get like you know romaine. It's be nice lettuce. It'd be great. Uh, your job is to bring a topping, okay? Which translates like it's bacon. What's that? This is my bacon salad with ranch. <laughs> so, so bring something to go on top of it. You don't just have to bring bacon, but you know, all kinds of whatever. I don't know what goes on a salad. I got like cucumbers, olives, ranch. That's my salad. Okay. So, and lettuce. Right. Okay. So, so bring some for that. And then we're also going to have a cookie bar. It's important after all that because they're healthy too. Okay, so, so bring some cookies, too, to go in the cookie bar, so we have salad and cookies and baptisms, and your kids will get side aches and be like, ah, and then they'll have to jump in and save them. No lifeguard on duty. Okay, so next week, 1 p.m., uh, so it's after the third service, just show up. Usually, we usually do uh, baptisms right about what, 1 o'clock. Be there at 1 o'clock, because you're all late anyway, so we'll just say 1 o'clock and leave it at that and show up for food. Uh, and then the last thing I want to talk about is planting roots. Give you a little update about planting roots. People have been asking about it. Uh, planting roots, uh, if, if you are new or newer and don't know what that is, we did a stewardship journey last year because we have to be out of this building at the end of 2016. Uh, what we did is we bought this field that's over here, that blank field. And uh, as you can tell, we haven't started doing anything on it yet. So <laughs> we need to get on the stick. So uh, we've got a civil guy working, an architect working, and we have to have all these things in place before we talk about construction loans or, or things like that. And so they keep looking at our finances and our giving, and, and you guys are like right on track with planting roots. But, uh, but if there is any way you could accelerate that, <laughs> it'd be really helpful at this point because they're looking at a lot of different factors in that. Uh, planting roots was this, was this stewardship journey on our finances and what God's calling us to, but, but mainly in it was a refocusing on who Jesus is and who he called element to be. If you missed it uh, in the back, 
We have the whole packets that went through anything. If you want to read through it and figure that all out, it's great. But I have a couple things to ask you about uh, this morning. Uh, number one, if you know a local licensed landscape architect, because after you get over a certain amount of space now, uh, you have to have what's called a landscape architect. I guess somebody who can draw like rocks and boulders and things like that. Apparently, we're doing really well right now with like no water in California because it looks like we may not have to have a whole lot of grass. Sweet! Don't got to water it. Saves money. Yeah! Your kids will play on the rocks. Why is that? Ch- I'd be like, like 10 years now, i got all kinds of water. Why is that church has got rocks all over it? Saves money. Okay, that's what we're going for. So, you know a local licensed landscape architect, could you just jot that down somewhere and hand it to me or one guy's at the Welcome Center or something like that because we really need to find one that can help. Uh, also, if you know an electrical engineer who actually draws plans, uh, we had, if you know anybody at Central Electric is what's on my paper because uh, they're looking at that. But if you know somebody you could talk to, uh, l- l- let, me just, let me just tell you, th- this, is, this is how knowing people helps uh, we got a bid to do our civil engineering on the property that was $120,000. Uh, somebody knew somebody who was a friend of theirs, and we were getting our civil engineering done for $20,000. I know, right? All right? That's what we're looking for. Okay? <laughs> That's the deal we want. Okay? I still think twenty grand is a lot of freaking money. but I mean, a lot of money. Sorry. A lot of money. But... I'm trying to be better. Sorry. Um, and then also, um, I was supposed to give you a big thank you. Uh, apparently, some of you got your tax returns back, and you started doing some planting root stuff with that. Thank you. Thank you very much. So there you go. Uh, welcome to Element. If you are new, uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. We'd love for you to take one home with you. Uh, if you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are sermon notes in all the communion tables throughout the room, but they are shorter than normal. They're just a front and a back with some questions and a front part uh, for notes on it. Normally, we give you a whole bunch of things to go with it, but because we are resetting and refocusing our gospel communities, we're doing half sheets uh, because we want them to kind of focus on the primer instead. So, so there's that. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on Live and Uversion. We should come up by GPS in your smartphone. If you don't have GPS in it, type in the zip code 93455-5458. We'll come up by that. You can click on the Ferris University in there and you can get all the sermon notes and everything that goes along with it. Uh, my name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for reading of God's Word? We'll get started. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. And it says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Such a joyful thought, right? Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to live in righteousness and to follow you and to be a people who call ourselves your children and to live in this world in such a way that everyone would know that you are the great God who has deemed to rescue and save a lost and a broken people and that we would live in ways that honor you First in all things. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so this week we are Easter plus one. Go us. Uh, we are starting a new nine-week series. Uh, in the end, it's going to be 11 because you've got Mother's and Father's Day in the middle of it. But this new series called Ferris University. We are calling it PU for short because Pharisees stink and you can too. So we're going to spend a lot of time looking at how to be a Pharisee in good standing by being exclusive, uh, legalistic, always looking back at the good old days of the past plus a whole lot more. We're going to have a lot of fun with this. At least I hope we do. If not, it's going to tank really bad. Uh, So we're going to talk about also some very serious things that examine our hearts and our souls in the midst of this. Uh, I got this idea from a book by a guy named Larry Osborne. I read it like two and a half, three years ago. It's called Accidental Pharisees. 
and I put it on the back burner. And finally, now, two and a half, three years later, we're going to kind of do it. We'll do some things that mirror the book kind of closely, some things in, uh, that don't mirror it at all, but that's kind of where the idea came out of. And so today what we're going to do is this is our overview. If you've ever been to a college course, this is what is called your syllabus. Like, you've never been to college, what is the syllabus? Okay, a syllabus, what it is, is when they lay out, like, the first day of class, this is what we're covering in class, this is how everything's going to go, that's what we're going to kind of do today, so it's an overview. And when we say the word Pharisee, it normally conjures up all these ideas in our head of negative pictures. And those are mostly going to be what we talk about during this series. But you also have to understand that at the time that the Pharisees were around, this, of all the religious orders at the time of the resurrection, they had the most members who ended up surrendering their lives to the risen Christ. You can trust us with the, with the Sadducees who ruled the temple at the time. There's not one historical account of any Sadducee ever following Jesus. So what this tells you is, don't get your history from NBC. If someone says, this is the Bible on NBC, you go, okay, so this isn't going to be totally accurate. That, that, that's how that works. Uh, in, in Jesus' day, in the time of Israel's history, they've been beaten and conquered by enemy after enemy after enemy. Israel is still claiming to be the people of the one true God, and they keep getting beat up. So the question starts to go through their mind. Why does this keep happening? If we are really God's people, why does this keep happening? Like when something horrible happens in your life, you go, why, God, why? I was trying so hard, as if it's your effort, right? It's not your effort. It's Jesus' grace. But this is what, why, why us? Well, so at the time of Jesus, this led to four different groups that kind of came out and had a reason for why this was. We briefly touched on this a couple weeks ago. Uh, but the four religious groups at Jesus' time were the Sadducees. As we said, they are the rulers of the temple. They were put in power by the Roman government. A few years ago, I gave you some history lesson uh, through Hanukkah and Judas Maccabee. If you look at uh, the last couple of books of the Catholic Bible that are in there, that Apocrypha, they actually talk about some books of history in there. Uh, Judas Maccabee, one of his relatives, actually began to lead this movement. And it started off as a good thing. They wanted to bring worship of God back to the nation of Israel. In the end, they ended up becoming puppets of Rome, this oppressive form of government that was on Israel's soil. And if someone ever showed up in Israel claiming to be the son of David or the Messiah or the Christ, Rome would think that the Sadducees weren't doing their job. What had happened previously when the Sadducees weren't doing their job is Rome killed all of them and put new Sadducees in place. So the Sadducees are very concerned about making sure that anybody who wants to start something gets squished pretty quickly. They held their privileged place in that society because Rome let them. They lived in Jerusalem where the temple was. At the birth narrative of Jesus, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Well, Herod claimed to be the king of the Jews, and now they're calling Jesus this. They say, for we saw a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Well, you were supposed to worship Caesar, not whoever this person was. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. All Jerusalem would refer to the religious leaders of the day living in Jerusalem. Because they keep their lifestyles because of Herod. Herod keeps his because of Caesar. Why was Israel in the mess that it was? Well, the Sadducees probably had some ideas, but they kept them secret. Because at this point, they really didn't care. They just wanted to keep exactly what they had. You had this group called the Zealots. It's the second group. Zealots are people who lived out in the woods, stored up guns and ammo. Sound vaguely familiar. Seriously, last service, we go, woo! Those are my guys! The zealots. I got food for two years in my attic. All they got to do is add water. 
if I can find it. That's these guys, right? Right? And what they would do is they'd come down, they'd raid Roman caravans, you know, try and get Israel's stuff back. They're all wild-eyed, ready for a fight. It's like I say, they're, they're like the young buck dudes always looking for a fight. Like, you looking at me? No. You want to be looking at me? No, no, I don't. That, these, and what they believe that Israel's in the shape that it was because no one would fight. And if they could just get enough people on their side that would fight, God would show up and fight on their side and destroy everybody else, and, and then they would have their rightful place in the world. You had this third group. They were called the Essenes. These are the quiet, contemplative guys, live out in the brush, eat bugs, meditate on God all day. That's these guys. They believe they can get enough people to follow them, then God would come and destroy everybody else and put them back in their rightful place in the world. They believe that all the problems Israel had is that they weren't separate enough from the rest of the world. And then you had the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed in what's called the oral tradition and interpretation of the law. If you look at Jesus' theology, it coincides much with what the Pharisees believed about grace, the afterlife, about marriage. Jesus never really condemns what the Pharisees believe. He condemns what they do because what they do doesn't line up with what they say they actually believe. Now, the people at this time, they love the Pharisees. The, pa- the Pharisees are like patriots, and they're not like the Sadducees. They're the true patriots who want to, again, bring about God and country and all that, but not necessarily in an armed revolt kind of way, but they're not really opposed to it, but just in a way that says, hey, let's kind of work our way through this and, and do it right. And the Pharisees believe that Israel is in the shape that it was because people had abandoned God, and they must return to true worship. Again, the Pharisees are loved by the people. They're like the back to the Bible club. And they had certain regulations that people who followed them and their teachings were supposed to follow. One of them is that you're not supposed to take the name of the Lord in any type of vain way. So what they started to do is not say God's name at all. They used euphemisms for it. Jesus actually follows this a lot in his teaching. Like he will say the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of God because that would have been like, what? In other places he will say the kingdom of God, but it's always to prove a point. It's kind of like the Harry Potter world, right? Like no one, he who must not be named, Voldemort, right? It's, they got to be really careful what they, what they say. Jesus followed that same practice a lot of the times, which shows when Jesus does say the name of God, it's very important. Especially in the book of John, when Jesus calls himself, I am, over half a dozen times, that's God's name. And that's what shocked and freaked people out because they knew exactly what he was saying. Now today we do this with words as well. We try and not say certain words in front of certain people. Like, that's why you say you know, crap instead of exactly, you know, why we say dang instead of, because I could say it, but then I just offend everybody and then no one will listen to anything I say, so I've got to be careful. And, and if I got up here today and I started to tell you, like, when, when I talk to people about element as a church, I tell people they're like a bunch of Pharisees. Would you think I was saying something positive or something negative about you? Exactly, negative. You wouldn't think I was saying something positive at all. But it would be the exact opposite in this day. If you were to call someone in Jesus' day a Pharisee, that would be a really high compliment. It would extol all of these virtues of a deeply passionate faith. That's like Larry Osborne said, passionate faith, just like Star Wars, has a dark side. I mean, you look at Jesus, right? God in the flesh shows up. Those most committed to following God are the ones that end up killing Jesus. That is passionate faith gone bad. In case you didn't know, you can chuck that down as number one. Don't kill Jesus. There, there you go. Now, now, history is full of these, these kind of issues. You have the Salem witch trials, the Inquisitions, uh, our modern view of the Crusades. You know, there are always places where devotion of Jesus, which is a great thing, can go horribly, horribly bad. And it's not just confined to Christianity. I mean, look at today. Islam does that today. Atheism has done it. Buddhism, Hinduism. They've all slaughtered those who have disagreed with their zealous faith. 
which one of the questions I put on the sermon notes for you this week is, where has your passion for God gone bad? Where has it led you to a place that you shouldn't have gone? Because it stops being passion for God and starts being passion for yourself. And so as we go through this series, you've got to remember that a Pharisee was and is everything that we would admire spiritually. They were zealous for God. They were enthusiastic. They were passionate. God is said to be zealous for his people. And if God is that, well, then zealousness can't be bad. Zealous people are meant to be committed to their faith, theologically and doctrinally grounded. The Pharisees, they obeyed all the commandments and the law that they could find. And they even added a couple just in case they missed some. I mean, that's, that's how committed that they were. And sometimes in churches, you'll hear people talk about spiritual disciplines. The Pharisees followed every single spiritual discipline. And a lot of people today think, oh, they were arrogant. They they were probably really arrogant even in their own day. But a lot of the people in Jesus' day understood that because the Pharisees tried so hard, they kind of earned the right to boast the way that they did. They're willing to pay a price nobody else was willing to pay. And if you grew up in Israel and you knew history, you're probably very impressed by the Pharisees. Now open to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, We spent a year in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Most people will trace the first shots Jesus ever took at the Pharisees to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about true worship, uh, what it means. He talks about how we cannot earn our way into the kingdom of God. In Matthew 5, he takes, Jesus takes his one-on standards from the law, adds a higher standard on top of them. Six times he will say, you've heard that it was said, followed by a thing that says, but I tell you to add something even harder on top of that. And this is, this is what, he, like Matthew 5, 21, he says, you shall not murder, okay? And then he goes, but goes on, he says, but I tell you, don't hold anger against your brother and don't call your, your brother an idiot, no matter what they do. Which, if you have a brother, you know that's impossible. <laughs> it's really impossible. <laughs> verse, verse 27, he says, you shall not commit adultery. But then Jesus says, but I tell you, you know, don't lust after anybody. It goes deeper than that. It's, it's websites. It's looking at guys' butts, ladies. It's looking at women's cleavage, guys. It's, it's all kinds of things. Don't let your eyes wander to lust. And he says, you know, if you do, gouge out your eyes or, or cut off your hand. Now, Jesus isn't actually telling you to go out and do that. It's a, it's a metaphor for, for how insidious sin is. But the Pharisees would have been guys who did it. Like, what? I mean, they, they would have done that. Jesus is teaching you cannot earn your way to God's favor. You cannot do it. Our righteousness is like rags. God's holiness is far beyond our best efforts. So what Jesus does to get people to understand this is he bookends all of these. You've heard that it was said, but I tell you. He bookends it with these statements. Matthew 5, 20, he starts like this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes to the very end. After he makes all these statements in verse 48, he says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He bookends it with these two things. These two statements would have probably disturbed his hearers more than anything else that he said in there. Because they would think, there's no way I can be perfect like a Pharisee. There's no way I could do that. But Jesus was pointing out, as we did in the Sermon on the Mount, that this is all about worship. What he's saying is that the Pharisees' worship, it wasn't long enough. It had no reach. It was all about outward observances. When true worship is about our hearts and acting out what God has already done in us. Jesus talks about how their worship wasn't broad enough. It wasn't what they, they narrowed everything down to the list of these laws of do's, do's and don'ts. It wasn't worship as the scriptures intended. Jesus goes on to talk about how their worship wasn't deep enough. They judged everybody on what they did and what, not, and what God had not already done for them. 
their worship wasn't high enough. They were satisfied with making the law, bringing it down to less than it was, and making it rules and not worship. They had no aspiration to see who all the scriptures pointed to. No one in Jesus' day would have heard Jesus' words and thought, well, I can't be holy and perfect as God, but I can easily surpass the Pharisee. Nobody would have thought that. This whole idea of be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, that word translated as perfect, it literally means to be complete. To be complete. When the New Testament and Old Testament describe these people as being upright and righteous and holy, it does not mean that they've achieved like total moral perfection, but they have reached a singular level of maturity in their lives where they're growing forward in terms of spiritual integrity. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. By Jesus' blood, we are perfect, but God is making us more and more holy day by day by day. This means we are to begin to mirror God's moral excellence in the world around us. I mean, the basic call of a believer is that we are to be God's ambassadors to the world. We are to be a reflection of the character of God. But when the Sermon on the Mount is first spoken, they didn't hear all that. What they would have heard was, I've got to be better than a Pharisee? How in the world can I do that? They might have even understood that. They understood you know, being complete, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. They may have even thought, oh, I could do that. But I can't be as good as a Pharisee. Good as God? Okay. Good as a Pharisee? I don't know about that. I mean, these are the kind of things they would have thought. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted them to know. His goal is to point them to his cross and his resurrection, his finished work. And, you know, the point is to move us all to the place where we understand we cannot bring about our own relationship with God by mere human effort. We cannot do it. We have to trust Jesus for all of it. That's why Jesus points to the Pharisees and he says, the ones who you think are closest to God still aren't close enough on their own. Now open to the book of Philippians chapter 3. It's in the New Testament. Just think God eats popcorn. God's electric power company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. No idea what I'm talking about. Philippians chapter 3. Turn there, okay? Uh, This here in Philippians 3, Paul is talking about himself in an effort to get people to see uh, how worthless it was to be a Pharisee. Uh, Philippians 3 verses 4 through 7, Paul says this. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. I don't see how anybody remembers that, but okay. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever, I, whatever gain I had, I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, something interesting in there is this word loss. That's the word rubbish or garbage. And that's a nice way of translating that word. Uh, the word in the original language is uh, skubala. And it, and it literally means like poop or excrement, but it's a slang term for it. Something I got slapped for as a kid saying out loud starts with S-H, ends with it. Didn't know. I just repeated somebody else. And, and the thing is, Paul would have freaked his readers out, but not because of his language by saying that. It would be because he disregarded any benefit that came from being a Pharisee. People read that and say, there's no way that commitment and that passion, that discipline could be worthless, which is exactly why Paul talks about it. Why? Because it's all about Jesus, the cross, the resurrection. These bring far greater and lasting effects than we could ever have on our own effort. And what we're trying to do in this series is reinforce in everybody the idea that it's not just about ancient Pharisees. It's about us as well. It's so easy to fall into that trap of do better, do better, do better. I think when people follow Jesus, I mean, I, I think when people follow Jesus, most people, they do have an, an honest and sincere desire to want to follow him. I mean, they, they, they want to give their lives to him. They want to follow him. And that comes out in how we, you know, are committed to God and country and lifestyle and all that. But eventually we start to look at everybody else who isn't where we are. And we start to judge them. 
and think, why aren't they committed as me? Why don't they understand the things that I understand? Why aren't they in the place in the path that I am on this path? We start to look at them and say, why don't they have the zeal that I have? I mean, sometimes our zeal can almost sabotage our witness in the world. And our problem is not zeal. Zeal is a great and good thing. Romans 12, 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We need to have zeal. But our excitement must always line up with the scriptures. Not our own crazy ideas of what the scriptures teach, but of the scriptures. And it's so interesting to me how fast people who claim to be followers of Jesus end up becoming just like the Pharisees. We all do at some point in our lives. We can point our fingers at all the flaws of everybody else around us, but never see it in ourselves. I mean, you, you probably at this point in your life have run into some crazy people who claim to be Christians. That's me. Who are you talking about? Right? We run into people like that. If, if you haven't, come and talk to me. I'll give you stories. Just hang out here for a little bit, and, and you'll see some. You know, they usually like to come up to me after a service and tell me how I didn't preach good enough or long enough or say the right thing or said too little or use the wrong words, whatever. Just They're here. You'll, you'll find them, right? Uh, if you go on the Internet, you can find all sorts of sites by people who claim to be Christians, but they're nuts. There, there's, there's, one, there's one website, this guy, and he says that God hates everybody who isn't a Christian. I think that's really interesting because, you know, before Jesus, that would have included everybody, including Jesus. Okay, so I, it, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. I mean, maybe you've got like a crazy co-worker who's got a Bible that weighs 200 pounds and they got it highlighted and written in so much that you can't even see God's words, just theirs, everywhere. Like, oh, I know that guy. Yeah, right? Right? You know, the guy that sits alone at lunch because he's such a great witness for Jesus? That guy? Yeah, yeah. But you got it. You can't forget. That's us as well. We all fall into that trap. We all have areas where we look at the world and we think, oh, they're so out of whack. They need to be more like me. We start to judge. We don't think they're doing it right because they're not doing it like us. In the book, Larry Osborne calls these blind spots. Like, like when you're driving down the freeway and someone's pulling on and they pull into your... Right. Three of you are paying attention. Right. And, the, and they're in that blind spot and, they're like, ah, and they use their instant justice button. Ah, to tell you what's going on. Larry Osborne says, in the end, it doesn't matter if we are Pharisees by choice or by accident. It still messes up things around us, hurts people, and hurts the gospel. I mean, we never want to end up being a people who think we're advancing the gospel, but are being an embarrassment to our king. We never want to be those people. And if I, and if I could, I would build you all a magic mirror to take home with you and just hold up to see all the places in your life where you think you're so righteous and you're judging everybody else in, because we all need that. There are, some, there are some people at Element who see themselves as gatekeepers of doctrine. And if people don't say the right thing in the right way, and I believe good doctrine is very important, but sometimes someone doesn't say the right thing in the right way, well, people think it's their job to re-educate them to say it the right way. Some people think grace is passively letting anybody do whatever they want to do. Oh, because that's grace. And both approaches fail to honor Jesus because God calls us to contend for the faith, to honestly speak about the truth that we believe in, to not shy away from that truth, but it's also full of grace. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And so through this series, we're going to cover a myriad of topics on how to become a good Pharisee or just recognize it in yourself and kill it. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit who will actually kill that in us. So we're going to look at overzealous faith, uh, arrogance and pride, exclusivity. Uh, we're going to look at uh, legalism, idealism over reality, uh, uniformity, trying to make everybody look the same instead of real unity, and trying to project your gifts on other people. And we think it's really important because we want God's Spirit to do some, some work in our hearts and our souls about this. Because it is so easy to go from being God's most stringent supporters to Jesus' arch enemies.
I mean, and, and, and I want you to see as we go through this that the Pharisees weren't bad people. They're just like a lot of us. They are just like a lot of us who so easily end up going off track. And we do not see ourselves in the Pharisees. We won't see the clear and present danger we are all in in our life. Larry Osborne says this, I found that becoming a modern-day Pharisee is a lot like eating at Denny's. No one wants to go there. We just end up there. (laughs) So true. And it's this idea, you know, the journey starts out innocently, a desire to follow Jesus. We step out in faith, we make commitments, things change in our lives, areas get cleaned up from sin and compromise. We pursue these spiritual disciplines, all good and wonderful things. But as we start to move forward, we start to notice everybody else around us who isn't trying as hard as we are, or isn't doing the things that we are doing. And at that point, we have an important decision to make. It's will we keep our eyes on Jesus, or we turn our eyes and start focusing on them. What are we going to do with it? Uh, Proverbs 6, uh, 16 through 19, gives you six things that God hates. Yes, hates. And seven things that are abominable. Number one in that list, you know what it is? Haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. It is arrogance. Arrogance. It is not bad to have your life together. Raise your kids. You know, spend your money wisely. Uh, read your Bible regularly. Set your priorities in the right order. I mean, the problem isn't even if you notice someone who's kind of lagging behind in, in that regard. The problem is what you do when you notice do you use the information, the gospel that has been so real and true to your life to go and help other people? Or do you simply use where you are to judge them? Because when you start to judge men, that's becoming a Pharisee. So Osborne says there are six good indicators to check and see if you're becoming a Pharisee. We're going to detail these uh, throughout the series, but I'll quickly give them to you. Number one is disdain for those who are growing at a slower pace than you. Oh, they're not growing as fast as me. They're not praying as much as me. They're not reading their Bible as much as me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's that thing right there. It's, you get frustrated, and you get cocky, and you get arrogant. The second thing is exclusivity. You have this, you know, you're exclusive. It's like, it's like you raise the bar so high, nobody can go, get over it, including Jesus. You like to make all kinds of laws that the scriptures never make, and if people would just do that, well, then they could be in your club. That's, that's what that is. Uh, thirdly is extra-biblical rules. Nobody today is going to call themselves a legalist, but we all are in certain ways. We're going to point that out. Uh, fourthly, you start to idolize the past. Oh, the good old days? The good old days are so much better than these days. Oh, if we just live in the good old days? Oh, you know what the good old days were for Element? You brought your lawn chairs. We had, we had a propane heater stuck over here in this corner. We're going to have a heater in the room. It was illegal. We all could have blown up. We all could have died. Those are the good old days. We don't want to go back to the good old days, all right? We want to move forward to the future. That's what we want. Heaters that work. An air conditioner. Praise be to God one day, right? Something, something. We want to move forward. God places our future in front of us, okay? It is in front of us, and that's where we're supposed to be going. Uh, five is a quest for uniformity. Uh, everybody has to kind of look the same. And if you look at Jesus' disciples, awkward group of disciples, all right? Just totally awkward. You got a guy named Simon the Zealot. What was he like? You're looking at me, right? God and country and guns. I mean, yeah, it's tea party, okay? That, that's that guy. And then, and then you got Matthew, a tax collector, Satan, yeah, so it's Satan. <laughs> a tax collector would be like somebody went to work for the Taliban in our, in our cultural context today, right? So you got Tea Party, Taliban. I mean, Jesus wasn't like, okay, cage match, um, you follow me, you follow me, go. That, that wasn't what it was, okay? He brings these guys in and teaches them both about the grace and the goodness of God. And this is the beauty of unity. They are unified around who Christ was. It wasn't uniformity making them all look the same. And then the last one, we're going to talk about gift projection. Thinking that everybody has to have the gifts that you have. 
Uh, like a lot of people get involved in a ministry of some sort and they cannot understand why everybody else in the world doesn't want to be involved in that same ministry that they are. Happens all the time. Whether it's like divorce recovery or children's or youth or something, whatever it is, we look at everybody else and say, why aren't people as passionate about this thing as I am? Because the church is a body. We got hands and feet and eyes and ears and mouths and noses and they're all different things. And, and God calls them in different ways to all build up the body together. So we cannot project our gifts on each other. And this is the beauty of the gospel. This is the good news. No matter how far you've gone down a path being like a Pharisee, even without even realizing it, you can always get off it. You can always follow and walk with Jesus because Jesus is right there with you the entire time. Pharisees are not just religious people. They're anybody who puts works above grace, our own life above Jesus' finished work on the cross. And this is why we want to talk about why Pharisee University stinks. I was talking to uh, Mike, our drummer, after last service, and he goes, he goes, why does it smell so bad in here? I was making a joke, right? Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should just bring out that fart spray and just leave it in here. No, we're not going to do it. But seriously, but, but that's, that's the idea. We can so easily go there without realizing we're there. And this is one of the reasons why we want to focus on it, because we want to be able to point out the ways that we are all beginning to act like Pharisees. Uh, this is why we talk about communion every single week. Communion is the place where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. This, it, we lay everything down right there. We realize what makes us righteous. It's not our works. It's Jesus' finished work. It's death and ultimate resurrection. And that's what we remember at communion. We lay down our Phariseeism there and begin to walk and see the world as Jesus saw it. You know, again, contending wholeheartedly for the truth, but doing it in the spirit of grace and humility. Uh, the band's going to come up. As they do, we invite you guys to uh, take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back, and if you need prayer, I mean, maybe you're in a spot today where you've been living like a Pharisee. Uh, you kind of have judged everybody else around you, uh, you know, by your own standards. You know, that, that's not a good thing. And if you would like prayer for that, they'd love to pray with you. Uh, if, if you have any situation in your life, they'd love to pray. Dude, seriously, you're so tall, you don't even have to really like lift that, do you? Just like, eh. Sorry. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Okay. So they, they would love to pray with you about any, any, any uh, needs that, that you have. Uh, there's offering boxes on the side on the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of that worship. We don't pass a plate. It's a response to what God has done in us. And so it's, you got to get up, just like communion, you got to get up and, and do it. It's a response to what he's done. Uh, there's some food and cake and stuff in the back. You can grab some to eat. Yeah, cake, what? Yes, we said, let them eat cake. Anybody? No? Okay, so anyway, so there's food in the back. Has, that's an historical reference, by the way. Um, grab some cake. Meet, uh, maybe meet some other people. Because God does save us individually, but God intends for us to live in community with one another. Okay, and this is, this is why community is very important to, to Jesus, that, that his people would begin to live and walk this way because we can talk to one another about this whole Pharisee idea. I mean, you should have somebody close enough in your life that you can say, in what ways am I acting like a Pharisee? And they'll be honest enough to tell you, and you're not going to want to go and, like, you know, slash their tires after they tell you. It's, it's something where, you're, where you, you may get upset because they're honest, but you're willing to take it because you're in community enough to care about what they say enough. And this is one of the reasons why we're always trying to connect you guys together with other believers so that people can, you guys can walk this road together in a way that honors Jesus as we all walk as his kids. You know, Pharisees, they had, they had like all this doctrine in their head and a lot of it was, you know, great and good and, and going the right direction, but how they lived it out was just 
Horrible. Horrible. And we want to be a people who have you know, great and good doctrine, but we live it out in a way that isn't horrible, but in a way that just floods the entire world with the goodness and the grace of who God is. And so people would come to know and love him because we lift Jesus up in all things that we do. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who live and walk in your grace. That we would honor you in all things. That the places in our lives where we think we're doing so great and wonderful, that you would even examine those. And we would see the things that you are saying to us. That you would remind us today that when we come here, you remind us why we do this. That worship isn't just about the songs that we sing. That worship is about our entire lives. How we interact at our jobs, with our families, with our friends, and even those that we perceive as our enemies. It's all worship. Teach us to be a people who understand the rightness of who you are, but also, but also the grace that you bring so that we would live in the truth of the gospel as well as the grace of the gospel both. And that you would grow us into the people that you call us and intend for us to be. And that as your kids, you would be greatly honored. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.